Welcome to episode 39 of the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Join us as we discuss trends, learn from experts, and share practical tips to help your ministry multiply its digital impact. For anyone who started their career on the front line and then had the opportunity to move into more formal leadership role, you know the growth challenges that exist there. Today, we're going to hear from the author of the book called Creatives Lead that helps anyone make that transition smoother. I know even though I'm not a creative, I wish I had that book 20 years ago. Also, listen all the way to the end to learn about a special offer on how you can get a free copy of this excellent new book. And it's, it's those kind of individuals that, that need new challenges, need some kind of an encouragement, and they can be perceived as low performers or poor performers. The um, uh, story I used in the, in the book was using you know, like sports analogy and uh, coaching a little league team. And you know, sometimes, you know, they, people just, you know, on the team just need that, that word of encouragement and need to feel that um, their role is important, that who they are is important, that what they can do. And, and sometimes uh, we even want to encourage them to a higher level and just say, you know, hey, I, 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 this is what I see in you. This is the potential that I see in you. This is where I see that you can go. And it's amazing. And I've seen it happen before and, it, and it's happened with me. I mean, I've had people speak into my life who have given me uh, opportunities and have encouraged me. And it really lights a fire under you. And so I think that idea of, you know, kind of ignore and marginalize the, the poor performers and spend time with your high performers. And I think I short-sighted. Welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Years ago, this was actually in the mid-1990s, I was hired as a webmaster, quote-unquote, webmaster for a large ministry. I, I dove into my work. I learned programming, design principles. Before I knew it, I was hiring a team and found myself shifting from the doer to the manager and leader. For many people, that can be a real challenge. Well, today we're talking with Eric Brown. He's the author of the book, Creatives Lead. And I can tell you after reading that book that I wish I had it 20 years ago. It's a super, super practical guide to helping anyone move from a doer to a leader. So Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, so one, Eric and I actually go way back. We worked together at 5Q <laughs> For, for five years. And so I got to know Eric really well and really have come, came to appreciate his, his intuitiveness when it comes to people and when it comes to leadership. And he is truly a creative, both from if you see some of his art, um, but then to be able to see him really <clears throat> blossom and flourish as a leader was really rewarding for myself personally. So, so Eric, first, can you just tell us now, what has brought you to the point where you've written the book, Creatives Lead? Yeah, great question. Uh, thanks, Chad. Um, it, it, if, I go, if I can go back, uh, I believe you and I actually uh, had met sometime previous. Uh, we, had, we had met at NRB uh, when both of us were in large media ministries and, and yep. leadership roles. And, um, and, and like you, I share a very similar story in that being an individual contributor, uh, you know, kind of growing up in the, in the, in the creative space, although uh, getting into technology early, adopter of the web in like 93, 
um, and starting to use kind of that left and right brain. And my, my, my wife tells me I'm probably the most organized, creative person she knows. Um, so one of the things that I found was, like yourself, transitioning into that leadership role and, and having been a doer, if you will, that when you are, are all of a sudden becoming a resource manager and leading and casting vision, those are very unique skill sets. And, and making that transition is often challenging uh, and, and sometimes can be very frustrating um, and fearful. Um, so this is something that I not only saw within myself and gathered people and mentors and read and, and learned as much as I could. Uh, and a lot of tra uh, trial by fire, a lot of trial and error. Um, failing forward, I think, as uh, John Maxwell often says. Um, but the uh, I, as I started growing and trying to be intentional about growing up leaders around me, I saw some of that same thing. And um, and and interestingly, as 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 I had left the the the, uh, the ministry that I was working in and started working in other organizations, um, some of those mentees would would reach out to me and. Some of these questions that were coming up were uh, those those topics that are, are became part of the book Creatives Lead, because my desire was really to try to help them kind of you know mitigate any issues that they might have to overcome those hurdles and to quickly ramp up. So it's really a really a twelve week plan, and 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 I, and I hope it's it's fail proof in one sense. Uh, to, to, to get people very quickly up into, uh, you know, feeling comfortable in this new role of, of, of leadership. So that was something that I had just felt burdened and God had placed on my heart years ago. And I thought, you know, it's time to get this, to get this out the door and, and get it into people's hands to, to help them as best as I can. You, you talked about how you've structured the book. You've structured it in four parts and, and to cover a 12-week plan. So just talk to us about that. How What went into how you're thinking when you structured it and what can a person expect as they're walking through it? Yeah, we. Um, you, may re, you may recall when you and I worked together at, at, at 5Q, I mean, this was a topic of discussion because as, as 5Q was growing um, and there's just those unique dynamics that happen with, with any organization um, and small and large. So um, like you, I mean, I've worked in nonprofit, I've worked in for-profit, I've, I've had my own company and you, you've got your own company. Um, there's just some of those very interesting um, phases that a, a team, and that could be a team within a department, that could be a department itself, it could be the entire organization. Um, but there's the, the phases that these teams go through, and it's not anything original that I came up with. It was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bruce Tuckman, who is a, a psychologist, and this came out in the 60s, and then he actually amended some of his, his research uh, in, the, um, in 2000, and I think even as late as 2012. Um, and that was going, every time a, a team goes through these phases, it's really interesting. So the, 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 the phases you may have heard before, it's forming, storming, norming, and performing. Mm -hmm. And that's what Tuckman uh, came out with a variety of research that he had done across multiple industries and just found that this was kind of human nature that teams go through these phases. And then what he added later on was the phase called mourning. Some call it adjourning, but I like the alliterations. <laughs> you have forming, storming, norming, performing, and then mourning. Mm. So the idea behind each is anytime you, you add to a team 
or you detract from a team. Again, no matter the size of that team, you're going to go through these phases. And knowing that ahead of time mm -hmm. and being intentional in how you uh, coach and how you lead through these phases can really help success, uh, you know, the, the success not only of the team, uh, of the project, of the organization a, a, as a whole. And um, it's been very powerful to see this. And, and, and again, as I've worked at, 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 um, at uh, UPS and currently where I am at this, uh, the, one of the largest uh, insurance companies in the country, um, I've seen this over and over again, especially within digital transformation, where a lot of uh, organizations are trans uh, are transforming from older technology and trying to keep up to speed with, you know, kind of agile, these newer mindsets that um, understanding these team phases is really critical to uh, to um, the, the outcome and the overall success. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've structured your book around those four phases of of forming, uh, forming, I'm trying to go from memory again, because uh, um, forming, uh, conforming, front forming, conforming, storming, storming, storming norming, and norming, performing. and then you're, you're finally performing. I know I've used those steps personally, not just in work, but also in nonprofit spaces, like volunteer at a church or leading a, a, a committee. And you can, you can just, you can see how that happens. The, uh, uh, when, when you're starting and, and getting going and everybody is, is yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden the, the differences pop up and the, uh, uh, the challenges start popping up and that's where you navigate yeah. those waters. And then eventually you, 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 you identify what are the norms, people know what's expected, and then you start performing as a team and yes. uh, that can happen all the way across. And so you've really structured the book around it, each section around those four areas. And yeah, uh, I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, one, one of the other things that I really appreciate about every chapter, it had a very practical application, like you, you've got your, your, your 12 weeks, then you have very practical applications at the end of each one. Uh, so, so I'm curious for you, and I'm going to ask maybe a little bit more of a, a personal question for you personally, uh, how many books have you read that when they have the practical application that we've actually done that? Because for myself, I can think of, you know, you read all these good principles and there's probably only about three where I've actually sat down and done it. And those three, one in particular that I've actually done, I still have notes from that, that I go back to and look at. And that was transforming. It really was when you actually sit down and do it so many times for myself, it's easy just to read it and skip over the practical application and not actually doing it. So, yeah. so what is your hope for people to actually do the practical application side of things? Yeah. Um, great question. And that's, that's why I, I put applications within the book and that's why I may, I, I divided it up into, into, into weeks. So you have reading and then you have time to apply what it is that you've learned. And, and there's, there's worksheets, there's templates, there's online uh, resources. Um, and then I've got, I also released a, um, a, a companion workbook that has a lot of the um, worksheets with, uh, that I'm describing or that are uh, illustrated within the book, but also have multiple copies you can make for yourself, you can make for your team. There's also additional uh, information that's in there as well uh, um, outside of the book. Uh, but you're right. Uh, anytime we try to form a habit, <clears throat> we have to put it into practice. And unfortunately, you know, like you, I've read a lot of leadership books and there's uh, a lot of amazing principles, 
Uh, but it's the, that transformation from, you know, in, the information that we have in our mind to really, uh, you know, getting that into our heart and, and uh, putting that into practice. And when, if we don't put that into practice, then, you know, what, what, what good is it? Um, so I, I found the same thing the, 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 of the books that I read and, and I read a lot, I read probably about 60 books a year, mm-hmm. um, that you know, it, it's, um, taking those principles and, uh, starting to apply those in your life and starting to apply those at home and start to apply those in your marriage. Um, number one, it's, uh, you, you've, you've got to be intentional about putting that into practice, then you've also have to be consistent over time because if not, then it never becomes part of who you are, never becomes a, a habit and never really, you know, God's never really able to really kind of transform not only your mind, but also your actions through that. Uh, so my hope is with, you know, with this application and making space for it, that um, folks will really start to develop healthy habits because unfortunately there's, there's a lot of unhealthy habits that uh, can be uh, formed as well. Yeah, no, not, I mean, super, super practical stuff. One area that you covered that I, I, I thought you did a really good job of creating a, 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 a creative way to think about our personalities. And uh, you mentioned the disc and you mentioned the others. And the one that I was first exposed to was the sanguine, melancholy, uh, phlegmatic, choleric uh, type model um, way back when I was in high school. And I, you know, that stuck with me and you've, you've taken that, it looks like you've taken that and developed a creators, creatives lead temperament types. Just talk to us about that. How did that come about? And, uh, um, and how can a person find out what temperament type they are? Yeah. Um, well, it's available online and it's something that, um, uh, we could certainly put in the, in the, in the show notes, uh, a, a link to that. It's a, it's a relatively short assessment. Um, but it's amazingly powerful. So I was first exposed to this years ago, um, uh, with, um, Dr. Uh, Gary Smalley and John Trent and some of the work that they had done, the two sides of marriage. And it's something that, we applied in, in, in our marriage and, and with my wife and I, we saw from a temperament perspective and not personality, but temperaments are really that, that, that underpinning that, that, the wiring, you know, personalities can, can, can change depending on the environment that you're in. Personalities can be based on, you know, whether you're male, female, it can be on your age, you know, based on your age, it can be, um, your cultural backgrounds. Um, so temperament is really, the, the, the underpinning of that, almost the foundational things, the things that come natural to you, those God-given given gifts. But what's interesting is, you're right, it goes all the way back to Hippocrates. And there is that, that sanguine melancholy. I, I tried to make it a little bit more fun. And so in, in Creatives Lead, I tied it more towards, you know, what are some of the, the, the creative um, disciplines that are out there that might embody these temperament types? So I came up with the entertainer, the entrepreneur, the gamer, and the architect. Now, if you think about these in, in a grid, if you have like the entertainer and the entrepreneur on the top of your grid, entertainer on the left, entrepreneur on the right, and then maybe underneath that, you have the gamer on the left and then the architect on the right. It's, 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 it's structured in, in such a way because you'll find that in, when you look at it in that grid perspective, the top of that grid tend to be more of your um, extroverted uh, temperament types. Now, 
I think within business, there's a lot of emphasis that's placed on uh, extroverts. And even within Western culture, it's not necessarily something that you find in, in other cultures. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so with, with that, that, that emphasis on um, extroverts, there, we, we tend to have a mental framework of what we think about when we think about an extrovert. We think about they can be a little bit bullish, they can be forward, they can be loud speaking, um, they're the leaders, the, they're the hard chargers, they're the ones who have the vision, they're the ones who won't take no for an answer, they're the ones that are going to storm the hill. Um, and that's kind of true. But also another way to think about uh, an extrovert is how do they process their thinking? And oftentimes it is um, ex you know, exterior. They tend to talk out loud. They tend to process. So, so they are often the first to speak. But oftentimes what it is, it's them processing their, their, their thinking. And if you don't know that, then, and I've seen this numerous times with, with leaders, they'll be processing their thinking out loud and the people in the room or the people in the meeting or uh, will be taking notes like, oh, this is what we need to do. And that's not always the case. They're just processing and trying to understand and, and they're not necessarily dictating, you know, or, or giving uh, instruction. Um, the bottom row, if you will, that gamer architect tend to be more introverted. <clears throat> so those people tend to be the ones that process internally. And uh, I think, you know, Chad, you and I tend to be more in, in line with that. <laughs> we, we tend to kind of think about things, um, drawing uh, conclusions, looking at, you know, different pieces of information and things that we've consumed over, over the years or experiences that we had and how does all this tie together and how does, how does this work out and what's meant by this and defining problems and such before we're ready, ready to, to, to speak. And so, again, knowing those kind of temperament types, especially in a team dynamic, is critical. So put yourself in a meeting you're, you're either leading a meeting or you're you know, participating in a meeting and you've got, you know, the, the individual who's uh, maybe leading this portion of the, of, of the meeting and, and there's those one or two people in the room that are not very talkative. So it's easy if you are an entrepreneur temperament type to go, well, they're just not engaged. Well, you know, they, they you know, they're not, we're, we, there's no need to invite them to the next meeting because we need people in here that are going to contribute. And really what's happening is they are engaged and they want to contribute, but they're processing it and they need to be given time and they need to be given space to do that. Now, some of it could be at the end of a meeting and you could call out and say, you know, hey, Chad, I've noticed you've been quiet. You know, what, what do you think about all this? You'd be amazed what these temperament types have to share. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, it's, it's, it'll drop a bomb in the room and it'll be like, wow, we never thought of that. That's great insight. And then sometimes they need space afterward. And it may be, okay, hey, we understand you're still kind of processing all this information. There's a lot that's been given to you. Come back to us, you know, at the end of the day or come back first thing tomorrow. And I really want to hear your thoughts and ideas on this. So that's just some of the power right there just between kind of that top row and that bottom row that, that that extroverted tendency that introverted tendency then you've got the two sides of the grid where you've got the entertainer and the gamer on the left side and what's interesting is those people and those temperament types tend to be more people oriented whereas the entrepreneur and the architect tend tend to be more task oriented so that's where you'll find that uh, you know they're they're that, that architect, that inter entrepreneurial 
mindset, you know, that we think of as, oh, he's the boss, he's the hard charger, he's the one that he's got the to-do list, he wants to get it done. And that's true because part of that is his temperament. He is very task-oriented. He's not necessarily going to be thinking so much about the people as much as he's going to be thinking about the task. Whereas our entertainer types or our gamer types, they're going to be more interested in, in, in kind of thinking, you know, people first and how, to, how does that work out? It's interesting, too, if, uh, and, and maybe a lot of your audience uh, has, has read uh, Jim Collins' Good to Great, a book that was written quite a few years back, but he talked about that level five leader. And I think it's interesting because that little level five leader was really more kind of in that gamer quadrant, was more people oriented and was um, more um, um, introverted. Um, and it's, so it's interesting to think about that. And then I think Susan Kane more recently has written a book called Quiet, which uh, she talks about that. That's just the power of introverts. And again, it's not introvert isn't a bad thing. It's just something we need to understand. And it's a temperament we need to understand. And so I, I put that early in the book, because in that forming phase, it's really critical that you get to know your team, you get to know their temperaments, that you get to know your temperament, and then how that mixes with yep. the team. And uh, in thinking about when you're putting project teams together, or even putting departments, what is that temperament mix? Uh, because if you've got you know, a bunch of entrepreneurs in the room, well, guess what? They're, they're going to be very task-oriented, uh, but they're all going to be trying to do things their way. Whereas if you put a lot of entertainers in a room, they're all going to be chit-chatting and having a good time and, and, and not necessarily, you know, they'll be encouraging one another on, but not probably getting a whole lot done. So having that good mix is really critical. And I talk about, you know, some tactics for understanding these temperaments and then communicating with these temperaments and then how uh, you can get uh, uh, just the, the most amount of work um, out of these different temperaments. But it is, it is amazing how uh, insightful this information can be and how helpful it can be. Yeah, I think, I think you said a key thing there is, is first is you need to know yourself. <laughs> know yourself, know where your strengths and weaknesses, know where you fall on those things. And then it's critical that you know the other people on your team. And it, it impacts team dynamics. It impacts um, your leadership style, the communication style. Uh, it impacts, and you bring that out in the book, how, how do you communicate with an entrepreneur type as opposed to a gamer type or an architect type? One needs bullet point, get to the bottom line. The other needs, okay, where's all your data to be able to show where, where you came up with this? And, and knowing how, if you have those different types on your team, it's critical that you understand those. And, and we will, we'll, you've got a nice little, little test there, less than five minutes you can take to get to know your type. And we'll link to that in the show notes for sure. I had, I had one thought while you're going through that. Um, one thing somebody said to me that really helped me understand the difference of to know whether a person is an introvert or an extrovert is where do you draw your energy? Because I, I have a daughter, she draws her energy from being alone but she is very much an external processor. Mm -hmm. So she's an introvert, but she's also an external processor because when she's thinking some, something through, she's calling my, I mean, she's out of the house now. She's calling my wife and talking through her several times a week. And, and yet, and yet if you go visit her, she's going to be quiet. She's, she's not going to be the first one to step forward. So she draws her energy from being alone. And yet she's still an external processor when she's making decisions. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll find, and, and, this, and I tested out very similar, um, I, I can be a, a verbal processor, but yeah. I, I get my energy as well 
from you know being alone, reading, having contemplative time, quiet time, things like that. Um, and, and so what you find is if if if, the, if, um, if there was a spectrum, you know, from that top to bottom, left to right, uh, you, you kind of find yourself very close between that uh, introvert extrovert. So uh, that's interesting. Kind of and, 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 yeah, yeah, <laughs> and there is there is there's there's uh, some interesting dynamics. You'll often find you have a primary and a secondary, mm -hmm. and oftentimes they are uh, across from each other. So you'll either have someone who's a primary uh, entrepreneur. And they might be a uh, secondary entertainer or someone who's a primary gamer and they may be a secondary uh, entertainer, uh, which is interesting. It's rare, but it is possible that you'll have those diagonals. It's rare that you'll have an entrepreneur that's you know, also a gamer or a gamer you know, person, a temperament type that's also an, an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, but you'll, you'll, you'll often find the, the uh, one that's either a, a, adjacent to or, or above and, and below. So it, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You definitely want to look at that and plot that grid out because that gives you an indication of, of uh, those strengths and how best to organize your team for sure. Yeah. I know, I, I know I found when I was first um, in starting to lead a team, you know, one of the first things you do is you're going through a hiring process. Okay. If you're, if you're leading a team, that means you have people that you're working with and usually, usually you're either they've, you're, you've inherited them or you're going through a hiring process for your hiring folks. And sometimes that can be really intimidating the first time that you walk through that. And one of the things I appreciated you, 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 you really laid out, of, you know, here are some things you should be looking for. Here are some very practical questions to ask. Here's the types of questions to ask. Here's some of the examples. Um, just walk us through some, some of those things, some of the principles that you found over the years for hiring good people. Yeah, um, as you, and, and you're right, it, it, when you're first introduced to a team, and if you're in a leadership responsibility, that's one of the things you'll be held accountable for is, is, is looking at your roadmap, looking at what it is you're trying to accomplish, and then do you have the team? Do you have the resources in order to do that? And in, in some cases, as you're getting to know the team and you're getting to understand their temperaments better, you're also spending one-on-one -on -one time with them. And that's, uh, I have that uh, team profile sheet where it allows you to uh, you know, make notes about you know, each of the team members as you get to understand them better, uh, trying to understand what their, their uh, career hopes or uh, dreams are, where does they want to go in life. And as a, as a leader, hopefully you're, you're tuned into that. And that's something where you're trying to help them succeed um, in their God-given gifts and talents. Uh, because ultimately, if, they're help, if you're helping them succeed, you're going to succeed. So looking at that team mix and looking at where, where, where are the gaps? You may have um, some uh, soft skills where, that could be lacking with the team. Um, oftentimes, we're looking at some of those hard skills and we're looking at you know, do we need a, a product owner? Do we need a, a, um, a UX designer? Do we need a front-end developer? And you're looking at more of those uh, those hard skills. Uh, and then you're looking at your people on your team. Are they junior? Are they kind of mid-level? Are they senior? Um, and trying to find um, the, 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 uh, those, those gaps. And in some cases, um, you may have some performance issues. Now for a new leader, that's really, really challenging because those are hard conversations. And that's where if you have an HR department, uh, you wanna make them your best friend. 
Um, unfortunately, a lot of uh, smaller nonprofits don't often uh, have an HR department. Um, they usually have an individual that's doing the paperwork for hiring, et cetera, but getting the you know, counsel around um, like a performance plan and just making sure that um, if, if, if you do have to let someone go, that it's something that doesn't catch them out of the, out of the blue and, and um, that you've uh, been very clear and, and have some uh, very candid conversations with them and, and have a, a plan that you can put in place where you're, you're, you're giving them an opportunity to try to succeed. You want them to succeed. Um, but in some cases, they're, they're just not, not quite up to it. Um, so I, I cover that in a, in, a, in a separate chapter, and that that's often a, some really tough conversations to have. But back to the to the hiring, there's oh gosh, so many different resources that are out there, and a lot of us are tuned into LinkedIn. You're tuned into all these different uh, social networks where you can find you know, resumes. You can see samples of work, um, depending on what you're looking for. You want to definitely be um, sensitive to gaming as far as you know how uh, different um, folks can game the system, right? They can go into the resumes, they can make it sound like you know they they did it all. you know there, there was really no need for anybody else on the team because they were able to to get in there and do it all. So uh, reading through resumes is is really challenging and trying to discern um, what it is that the person can and cannot do. Uh, so that's oftentimes where you'll have a phone interview. And um, if, if, if you don't, again, have an HR department, you may be doing the phone screening yourself. Uh, I have a, a sample uh, phone screening template that's in the, uh, the companion workbook. Uh, but if you've got an HR department, they'll hopefully have, have done some of that screening for you. And then when you get them in, in, in the room and you've got your, your, your face-to-face, um, again, HR will typically have some kind of a, a questionnaire that you use, uh, but depending on, this, on the situation and depending on the, the role that you need, you'll um, be able to interject some of your own questions and really try to determine um, what specifically the person does or can do um, some in some organizations they'll even test. So, for instance, if they're doing a, um, if you're looking for a front-end developer, um, you may have some code that they look at, and you ask them to debug it, or you may have um, a brief uh, structure or wireframe and ask them just to to, to quickly code uh, that information together to get a, a feel for how it is that they work, how quickly they work, what their capabilities are. Um, because again, you know, the resume could be saying one thing, but the actual skills could be proving to be something quite different. Uh, another thing that um, I like to do is also get um, some peers interviews as well. So if a person is, say, for instance, looking at a front-end developer role, then I bring in a front-end developer to talk with them and um, understand that they know the lingo and they know the language and they'll know, you know, if this person's got, you know, the skills that are required or not. Um, and don't discount uh, word of mouth. I think oftentimes what we find is that uh, people within our organization, I mean, it's kind of that idea of like hires like. So if you've got strong performers, then talk to them. And if they have friends or other people in their network, then they, you know, they're going to have um, 
likelihood of, of a, uh, a very uh, strong candidate for your position. No, so those are a couple of things that, yeah, a couple of things that I look at. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really helpful. I, again, I appreciated the open-ended questions and some examples that you give. I don't know for our organization, we, we like to think of it as in, in order of priority, are they a good culture fit? Hmm. Are they a good talent fit? Do they have the talent, <clears throat> talent needed? Do they have the skills? Are they a good skill fit? And there's a big difference between talent and skills. I, I could, I could teach, I could learn all I want, how to run Adobe, Adobe Photoshop, but I'm never, I don't have the talent to be a designer. Right. And, uh, no matter how well I had the skill of doing Adobe, I would never, I, I just don't have the talent to be a designer. Yeah. So yeah. finding people that have the talent and the skill and, and then education, and that's, you know, education, there's so many different ways a person can get education. Just the formal education to me doesn't make as much a difference as seeing what can they actually do? What have they actually done? And are they going to be a good culture fit? And then the last one is the non-tangibles. Now there's sometimes there's those non-tangibles that, that you just can't put your finger on either positively or negatively. And, uh, um, and then if you have multiple people interviewing, that's where you can, uh, uh, make sure that you're, you're making sure that the person is a good fit for your organization. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah, you really definitely want to definitely want to probe during those, the, during those interviews and, and try not to let them off the hook. Uh, the other challenge that I see too, for, especially for new leaders that are hiring is because they're nervous, they can be real talkative and you want to do less talking and let your candidate do more talking. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that's, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's critical. Tied to that, you, you've also talked in there a really good principle around setting up a team that's strong where you are weak. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if a leader has insecurities, that can be a challenging to do. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I think in one sense we've all experienced. It almost feels a little counterintuitive, right? You, as, a, as a leader, I think sometimes the temptation is to think that, and that we've got it all together. I'm in this leadership position and I almost have to project or put on this mask, if you will, that I'm the leader, I've got it all together. And uh, people recognize that. Um, if you've been put in a position and, and, I, and I worked at one organization where the, the thought was, well, if you're a leader, you can lead anywhere in the organization. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're leading a call center, then, hey, we're gonna put you over this, over this team of designers because all you're doing is leading. And there's a, there's a real challenge there because you put, in, in, you put yourself in the shoes of, the, of, of this leader, they're all of a sudden moving in this new environment and they recognize, I don't know anything about this, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm supposed to lead. And so, like you said, there's, there's some of those insecurities that could crop in. And, and unfortunately with, with some folks, the tendency is to swing towards micromanaging mm -hmm. where you're coming in and you're looking over by shoulder and, and, and um, it's, it's, you're, you're putting your uh, your stamp of approval on, on everything and the things that, that you like instead of really trusting the people around you and trusting their expertise. Um, it's like you mentioned about Adobe Photoshop. I kind of laugh and I think at one time we had, we had discussed that um, 
when desktop publishing first came out, there was almost this mindset that, oh, if, if, if I've got a computer and it's got all these simple uh, products on games. here, like, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I, I, can, I can have my uh, a, a assistant or I can just hire, you know, some guy off the street and, and um, here's all the tools that I need. I can create my brochures and my pamphlets and my business cards. And, and you know, while the tools were there, like I said, the innate uh, skills uh, were, were not. And um, I think more recently, and, and, and there's the, um, and I do talk about it some in the book, uh, but the, the idea of design thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes it's a wonderful tool, uh, but again, that's all that it is. It, it's, it's a tool, it's teaching people who are not designers to think like a designer. But we have to be careful that in doing so, that it, 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 the temptation is, oh, well now I'm a designer. And it's like, no. <laughs> You're, you're, you're not, but you're learning to think like one and you're kind of learning about some of that process. Um, so going back to um, um, the, the, uh, the, the, oh, I got off track there, Chad. What are we, what was the question? It, you know, we, we were talking about um, setting up a team that's strong when you are. Oh, strong where you're weak. Yeah. 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 But I actually, let's go a little different direction. I'm curious, where would you recommend a leader spend most of their time uh, in terms of, would you recommend they spend time with their high performers or low performers? That's a loaded question. It is. That's um, why I asked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, say, I, I say both, and here's why. Uh, again, if you've gotten to know your team, now all the management books that I've read, and, and you know some of some of those that I'm I, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not going to name names, but uh, they'll they'll say spend time with your high performers. You know why? You know in essence they're implying why are you wasting your time with your folks that aren't you know doing you know that well. Uh, you just probably need to get rid of them and, and and spend time with 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 the folks that are the high performers because again that like hires like and and that's where you're going to get most of your bang for your buck. Um, and there's some truth to that. I, I I think that there's also those folks who are discouraged, who are quite who are, who, are, who just need that little word of of encouragement. It, and it's interesting that I was reading a, a, a report the other day. And so Gallup uh, said back in, I guess it might have been even as early as in, as in the 90s. And then they, they, they revamped this shortly, uh, not long ago. But um, in, the, in the late 90s, they said one out of five uh, employees um, are engaged at work. Mm. One out of five. Think about that. Now, then they came back, and, and, and this has been an ongoing study as they've been looking at this over the years. Then in, in 2012, Gallup came back and said, yeah, you know, this is, this is still holding pretty true. And as a matter of fact, as, as a result of unengaged employees that we're losing, you know, companies are losing four to five billion dollars uh, a, a year. I mean, as far as just, you know, in, across, the, across the U.S. Um, that's that's an astronomical number and if you think about who are the people on your team that are that are capable 
but not engaged for one reason or another. They feel like they're stuck in a rut. They may not, they feel that, or they may have more skills that aren't being utilized. Um, they want to get into leadership, but there's kind of a, a glut of leadership at the top and, and there's no way that they're going to move into a leadership role unless, mm -hmm. you know, somebody leaves or, or, or whatever. Um, and it's, it's those kind of individuals that, that, uh, need new challenges, need some kind of an encouragement, and they can be perceived as low performers or poor performers. And um, I, I, I have a, uh, I guess, the um, uh, story I used in the in the book was um, using you know, like sports analogy and uh, coaching a little league team. And you know, sometimes you know, they, people just you know on the team just need that that word of encouragement and need to feel that. Um, their role is important, that who they are is important, that what they can do. And, and sometimes uh, we even want to um, encourage them to a higher level and just say, you know, hey, I, I, you know, I, I, this is what I see in you. This is the potential that I see in you. This is where I see that you can go. And it's amazing. I've seen it happen before and it's happened with me. I mean, I've had people speak into my life who have given me uh, opportunities and have encouraged me mm -hmm. and it really lights a fire under you. And so I think that idea of, you know, kind of ignore and marginalize the, the poor performers and spend time with your high performers. Um, I, I think I short sighted. Yeah. And I, I appreciated your perspective because, because I know myself, yes, I'm a task oriented person, but I still care about people. And I, I find, I found when, especially when I was new in leadership, I did find myself spending an inordinate amount of time with the low performers because you want them to do well. You want, and so, and they're having the issues. And so that's where you're getting, getting as a leader, you want to, you're there to fix things, or that's what we see ourselves as. And so I understand the business mindset of, of it's almost a, a pendulum swinging against the, our natural tendency is to go where the problems are. Right. Um, and yet at the same time, I think it's all about the mindset in which we approach those problems and are we helping them grow beyond those or are we um, just, just enabling them to carry it, help them to grow beyond the, the problem issues that they're having and, and, and grow rat and, and, and to become a good performer. That's yeah. the, that's the end goal of a leader is to help a person move from where they're at to become more than where they're, where they, where they may, they may not even see themselves there. And um, yeah, so I, I, I appreciated your balanced perspective on that. I also really valued that you included the, uh, the fixed versus growth mindset that is relatively new to the business world. It's been kind of come from the educational side, but could you talk about that a little bit and the importance of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset? Yeah, it's, um, and, and it's interesting. And, and I've seen this in, um, large and small organizations. So it really is not, it's not, I think the temptation is to look at the fixed mindset and the growth mindset is as being um, maybe generational or maybe with a, a larger organization because there's um, a lot of baggage. There's a lot of, um, of um, uh, uh, folks who, who might have been there for a long time and are just kind of cruising um, and that's not the case. Um, so let me, I've, I've actually got a, um, a, uh, a grid that's in the, in the book and yeah, I think it, grid. 
yeah, I think it helps um, folks who may not uh, be aware of what that is to, to see a little bit more about it. Um, um, I'm gonna jump to that real quick. While you're finding it, I know that that concept of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset was very helpful for me in parenting. Uh, and, and they actually did a, in the, one of the initial researches around growth versus fixed mindset, they, they found that if they um, encouraged kids in specific ways, they could actually help them develop a growth mindset. The way that you encouraged or, or, um, uh, encourage the kids why, was by encouraging their process, encouraging their hard work, not encouraging their talent or the outcome. Because if, if you're praising the talent, they think they'll have a limit to their talent. But if you're praising their, their effort and their energy and their hard work, then, then that's when, that's when they, they, don't, they, they realize they can tackle anything that comes their way. And personally, I saw that happen with one of my kids where I found myself praising his talent early on and um, it was developing a, he, he had challenges with having a fixed mindset. And it wasn't until he was a teenager that I realized the mistake that I was making. And we talked about fixed versus growth mindset and I've changed the way that I, that I encourage him. And uh, it's been neat for me to see that, the, the change and that growth in him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, 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 and, and I like that it, we, we discuss it as, as just that it is a, it is a mindset and it's something that I think we have to be intentional about it. it most people would think about it as, well, are you a cup half full or a cup, cup half empty kind of person? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, are you, a are you an Eeyore or are you, a, you know, always kind of looking on the downside and, you know, and, and it's funny, I, I, I meet people and I, and I talk to them and I ask them, you know, what's your outlook on life? What's your worldview? I mean, as you get to know them, you kind of find out some of these things and I hear a lot more than I used to. I, well, I'm a pragmatist. Well, I'm a realist. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, when you, when you think about this idea of of uh, you know the growth mindset, it's I, you almost have to be. I, mean, I, th I think you can be realistic, but at the same time, I think you're very optimistic, right? You're looking at some of these challenges, you're embracing them. And for those who aren't that 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 familiar with them, you know, for instance, the fixed mindset. You know, some of those um attributes are they tend to avoid challenges shy away from those things that are unknown you know have a hard time handling criticism um they they, they um they, they focus on uh on uh, you know wanting you know proof for and from yourself um they want you to prove yourself thinking uh they're threatened by the success of others um sometimes there's some um tendency to give up very easily. Uh, like you said, you know, sometimes you see that with, with, with children. Oh, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, understand that, uh, understands that failure um, is the limit of, of, you know, one's ability. And so I think trying, like you said, trying to get your, uh, your, your employees, even yourself. I mean, if you don't, if, 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 if you don't have this as a leader, how can you expect the, the team around you to have this kind of a mindset? Um, 
So, you know, are, are they challenges or really are they, can they be opportunities? You know, can we embrace, you know, our weaknesses? And that kind of goes back to that idea of, of uh, um, being real and upfront with your folks and, and letting them know, hey, I'm, I'm not very good at this, but I know that you are, and this is why I'm trusting you and leaning on you to make sure that we get this done. Um, you know, giving that constructive criticism I think that's that that can be challenging, especially within uh, a lot of creative disciplines. Uh, um, creative temperament types tend to um, see their work as an extension of themselves, and um, if there's um, a critique, they they can take that as 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 a personal criticism. So understanding that uh, critique does not equal criticism is something that uh, that that takes work. Um, that prior, prioritization of learning, I think, is key. Um, I think it's being intentional that, you know, that, again, that's part of the culture that hopefully you built have built into your team and your, your, your department or your organization is that continual improvement, whether that, and, and I think oftentimes you think about it as, you know, it's process improvement, but there's also personal improvement as well. And then focusing on the, um, you know, the process instead of the end result and, uh, so there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of those interesting things about that growth mindset, understanding failure is an opportunity to grow. Um, again, depending on your leadership style or the style of leader that you may report to. Um, sometimes leadership, you know, you can, you can kind of get, you know, um, uh, yeah. Uh, slapped. Uh, yeah. Well, I was trying to think of a nice way to say it, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that um, sometimes, um, you know, failure can be very intimidating in some organizations. And unfortunately, you know, some leaders, I think, um, need to be very uh, or sensitive to what they say and how they say it. Yeah. Um, because that, again, I mean, that can either encourage or build up a, a uh, a team member or it can really tear them down um, and you don't want that you want folks to understand that okay what did we learn from this how can we improve this this is you know this is a learning opportunity now let's keep moving forward we're human we're going to make mistakes um, and you know let's let's let's, let's keep moving so um, yeah I think that's a it's it's a it's definitely a mindset that needs to be cultivated and acquired I think that's one of the encouraging things that I got from the book is, uh, it, it is the whole, you really is a people first approach to leadership. And that, I mean, that was a growth process with me early. I mean, you were with me early with 5Q and, and I probably um, made a, a gazillion of the errors that you point out in that book. Just thinking about even, even realizing that when the leader whispers something, it can come across as shouting to everybody else in the room when the leader may not mean anything by it. And yet it, it, it can be perceived as something that, that really you want done or whatever it is. And so as a leader, always being intentional and careful, uh, careful and intentional about what you say, but also looking to encourage the team. And uh, just, you have some really practical, good ways to be able to, whether it's thank you notes, but just ways to, to bring encouragement to those that you're leading, which is, uh, I wish I would have learned that earlier in my, in my leadership that uh, um, I would say just in the last five years that has, has been a growth process, growth pattern for me. Yeah. Well, and again, I think that goes back to the temperament type, right, Chad, because the type of te the temperament that you have as a leader is, I think you, uh, um, 
tend to be, uh, and, and at least as, as long as I've known you, you've been very uh, empathetic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is, that, that's by no means uh, a weakness. And I think, unfortunately, in some cases, it, it, it can be seen as, as a weakness. Um, I found it was interesting. I saw another statistic the other day from Udemy, who, uh, and you're familiar with them as online um, training and uh, uh, organization. Um, but of all the, the uh, uh, thousands of employers that use their, uh, their network, um, they, they, they said that 77% of those uh, employers say that soft skills and, 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 and honestly, you're, you're right. That's a lot of what this book is about, that the soft skills are more important than hard skills. And I, I think um, we tend to shut, we, we, we know that, but we tend to shy away from it because it's hard. Uh, you know, hard skills is, it's kind of like a, a checkbox. Yep, this person's got skills here, or guess what? You know what, I'm gonna send you off to school. We're gonna, you know, you're gonna learn how to, how to code in Python. You're gonna learn how to, how to, how to you know, use the Amazon uh, web services. Um, that's great, but if they come back and they can't work with the team, <laughs> then, <laughs> you know, the, the, you, what, what good is that? You've, you've got a person who might have a lot of those hard skills, but I just think it's interesting. The soft skills is, it is, it, it is, it's more relational. It's more time consuming. It's, it's, uh, it's, it can be, it has its own set of challenges and depending on your temperament, you're going to either you know, jump into it or you're going to shy away from it, or you're going to kind of sit on the fence. And uh, again, I've, I think uh, one of the things that I've seen over and over again with the, the, the folks that I've talked to, the people that I've, I've mentored, folks who have mentored me, um, that, that it really starts here. Uh, you know, if we don't have um, employees that are engaged, um, then work's going to suffer. And when work suffers, uh, the customer uh, uh, experience suffers and when that suffers, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a downward slope. Yeah. So, so having read the book, I really think that uh, w- when you read the title creatives lead, you get this picture. Oh, I have to be a creative for this book to relate to me, but that is not the case at all. So I would encourage if you're listening to this and you have are in any form of leadership, or if you have an aspiration to leadership, whether you're a programmer, a coder, a office manager, whatever your role is right now, um, this book can really does give you the tool set to be able to develop those those leadership skills. And I, I would actually liken it to you know the model that we use for our um, uh, for a lot of the things that we do at 5Q is a scaling up book by Vern Harnish. And in that book, he takes he takes some very basic principles and draws from the best of the best and says, here's some very practical way, ways that you can apply these principles to running a business or running an organization. And Eric, you've really done the same thing for, for leadership and developing leadership and, and leading teams. And uh, so don't let the word creatives scare you away because I'm, I'm not a creative and yet I gained a ton from the book. And like I said, I really do. It's one of those resources that um, I'll probably be getting for each one of my kids as they uh, move out of high school and, and uh, experience different levels of leadership. It, it can be one of those books that you, you 
you have on your shelf that you know what's in there and you can pull off and thumb through the pages and find, oh, this is where I'm at right now. I really need a resource that can help me in this specific place. So not only is it a 12 week process, it's also a resource that you can be used, be, be used years down the road. So thanks for, for sharing and thanks for bringing uh, to the market a, a voice that really needs to be heard today. Yeah, thanks, Chad. I, uh, you know, and just to kind of piggyback on what you what you shared, those were some of the uh, same thoughts that went through my head as I was titling the uh, the book. Um, the other thing, and again, I think we we know this intuitively, but putting it into practice again is the challenge. And that is, in one sense, we're all creative. Mm-hmm. If the creator has created us. And we have his fingerprint, right, on us. We are a reflection of him. We are creators yeah. as well, in a sense. And you're, I, I, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's easy to say, well, I don't paint. I don't draw. I don't sing. No. I don't, and, and that's not what creativity is all about. That's right. Every day you're solving problems. And when you solve problems, you're exercising creativity. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think in our minds, what happens is we divide, we, we think, oh, that's, you know, that's for the creative people. I'm not creative. Um, and there's kind of that left brain, right brain. We do use both. We do tend to have a tendency to be more one, you know, an individual that may be more right brain or, or, or more left brain than the other. But the fact is, we we do use both sides of our brain, and bringing that into the organization, into team development, into the ministry, I think is something that um, we just need to be more cognizant of and uh, and 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 uh, put more of that into into practice. And so that's my hope is that you know folks that will understand, readers will will, will pick this up and understand that. Um, they can exercise creativity across all areas of life and really bring it to bear within the marketplace, within the nonprofit, within ministry areas, and um, continue to, to, to put people first and just look at ways to kind of expand and really scale the organization just out, that are outside of the box. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. So, so Eric, you said that you read 60 books, around 60 books a year. Can you share with us one book or blogger resource that you've read recently that you can recommend to our audience? Uh, sure. <laughs> um, I, the two that I've got on my uh, on my uh, on my desk today uh, today, I've got um, it, it's a it's a it's a relatively small book, uh, but it's one of those books that for me. Um, it's just been very powerful. And as a matter of fact, I've, I've got a men's group and, and we just got finished reading it. And I, I hear this often. It's a book called The Cure by uh, John Lynch, uh, Bruce McNichol and Bill Thrall, who are um, with the True Face Ministries. Mm-hmm. It's called The Cure. And it's a small book, as you as you can see. It is uh, relatively thin, and and the narrative is really about half the book. The second half of the book is is um, questions and answers or a, a, a discussion guide. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a transformative book. The subtitle is uh, "What if God isn't who you think He is, and neither are you?" And uh, without giving too much away, uh, 
it, it, it does touch on some of the idea of um, um, the um, exchange life and the, the, the idea that um, you know, uh, Christ lives in and through us. And if we really understood that, how would we live? Um, so for some, it may be a good reminder for others, um, and, and especially as I mentioned with this, this men's group that I've been through, it's been transformative. Mm. And then a, 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 a small little book related to that is called The Cure for Groups. And, uh, and it's written by the CEO of True Face, a guy uh, and friend of mine named uh, Robbie Engel. So um, those, those are two that I've, I've read that um, have been of uh, uh, encouragement to me and um, uh, as, as far as my spiritual walk. From a business perspective, I'm actually reading a book called Intersection which is by uh, Milan Gunter. And, um, and it's something that I've been uh, trying to, to work through from a uh, business, uh, technical, and an experience uh, perspective. And I think more often in uh, the organizations that I've worked with and, uh, and that I am working with, there's, there's a, a very close relationship between business and tech. Um, but understanding that there's an experience component to that. Mm. And by that, I mean, um, uh, not just user, but customer experience. Mm -hmm. And that those, uh, those, those three areas really need to work together, even at a very high level. Mm -hmm. I think what often happens is that from a, um, a, a business perspective, they're thinking, well, we want to execute X, Y, Z. Here's the technology that we need. Oh, and by the way, uh, you know, our designers creative team just put a, put a pretty colors around it and, yeah. and make it look good. Um, whereas um, what I've been experiencing and, and what Milan puts forward in his book is these three practices or disciplines really working um, early and often mm -hmm. um, are, are very transformative uh, for organizations to to really impact um, customers and really um, they're, they're, they're basically like a Venn diagram. They're basically looking at attacking the same problem, uh, but looking through those different lenses and where they overlap is that sweet spot. That's great. It's, it's interesting that you should mention the cure book. I actually just ordered it a week ago. So it's actually sitting on my desk uh, right outside the studio here. And uh, I haven't Great. cracked it yet, but I am really looking forward to to that. So excellent, that is, uh, that's really good. Well, Eric, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, obviously they can buy your book on Amazon. But if they want to get a hold of you personally directly, how can they best do that? Yeah, um, happy to to uh, you know, talk to anyone or, or, or reach out. You can go to creativeslead.com, and um, you can contact me there. Uh, you can also, also reach me at info at creativeslead.com. Um, so please, yeah, feel free to reach out if you've got uh, any questions. Um, again, uh, this, uh, if, you've, if you've read the book or you, you uh, want to read it, um, certainly would love your feedback. Um, definitely want to make uh, a, a, the next version better. I've actually had several folks who have said, well, you've got these different phases, the form, storm, norm, perform, but I've, I've already gone through forming and, and, and now I'm, we're storming and I would, and is it, can you expand on that? 
So I'm that's uh, several other projects I'm looking at is is really taking each one of those phases and kind of exploding those out a little bit more, giving more uh, detail. Um, so hopefully in the near future we'll Good. we'll see how that comes together. But um, so far it's it's uh, it's been very helpful for everyone who's who's read it, and, and I'm certainly grateful that um, I've had that opportunity. And I would definitely echo that. It's a, it's a great book for, for new leaders. It's also an excellent book for seasoned leaders to be able to um, just, a, I found it just a really good refresh and some new ideas that I hadn't thought of and hadn't been exposed to. So Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks so much for bringing this book uh, to bear. We'll have links to all of this in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and want to know how the best way to, to contact Eric and you didn't write the email down, we'll have that right in the show notes. You can find it from there. So thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Chad. I appreciate it. Take care. Wow. We just scratched the surface on what this book, Creatives Lead, covers. Eric has been kind enough to provide us with some resources just for you, a free download of three select chapters for everyone, plus a free book for one lucky listener. To get your free chapters, which include the Creatives Lead Temperament Test, just go to 5q.com slash creatives and request your free download. That's fiveq.com slash creatives with an S. Also, to have a chance to win a free book, you just need to do two things. First, rate us and write us a comment in your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And then request a free chapter download and note which platform you post your rating and comment on. On October 1, we'll have a drawing and choose one person to receive their free book. Thanks so much for listening to, to the Ministry at Scale podcast. Until next week, keep learning, keep growing, and keep impacting your world for Christ.